Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Good morning, church. How are you today? For those of you that know me, know that I'm a fix-it kind of guy. I don't like having anything that's broken that's not working when I want it to. And so one of those things that has frustrated me so much during this season that we're in right now is the fact that I have absolutely no ability to fix it. And that frustrates me because I like things working. I like things usable. And so I was whining before the Lord a few days ago, and that's what much of our prayer is, is just whining before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I have given you what it takes to fix it. And so we're going to deal with that this morning. What can I, what can you as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, what can we do to fix it? And the Word of God gives us specific information if we will just heed it. So I'm going to preach a message this morning called, Where's David? Where's David? You'll remember the story but I want to touch on two or three points. I have six points that I want to just present this morning and share with you. And first of all is this. COVID-19 is a reality. There's no need to deny it. No matter who's responsible, it's here. No matter where it started, it's here. All the wishing won't change that. All the Cussing won't change that. All the blaming and finger pointing won't change the fact that it's here. Lives are forever being changed. All around the world, virtually every region, every nation has been touched to some degree by this pandemic. And I believe that it's time that we confront the issue. I believe that we have been given instruction as to how we can, as believers, impact this in a far greater way than we have been impacting it. I think and I pray that there are some life lessons that we're learning from this. First of all, things change sometime dramatically. If you had told me a month ago that we were going to be where we are today, I would have probably recommended a good psychiatrist because it has changed dramatically. I, in my years, have never witnessed what we're witnessing today. 
I saw a nation shaken by 9-11. I was a child during the, the, the polio crisis that we walked through. I was around when the market crashed. But I have never witnessed anything like this. Secondly, some things are more important than others, and I think we have realized that. Some of us have been arrested during this period and redirected back to our families, back to homeschooling, back to things that really make a difference in our life. Some of us have realized that we were captivated by unimportant things. We were giving hours of our time over to things that were of none effect. That did not change or better our homes, our families. And so it's a good thing. Thirdly, I've learned we need an anchor. I am so thankful and grateful for the men and women, the churches, the pastors that have put into my life, those that have given me uh, a foundation on which we can stand, those that have spent time with me, those that have given over to the ministry that Sharon and I have had. Thank God for those people because they have made us and they have become an anchor in our lives. Never underestimate the influence that you have on people. Point two is this. None of this has taken God by surprise. We need to understand that. God didn't wake up one morning and all of a sudden there was this pandemic. He knows who started it. He knows where it came from. He knows who's responsible for it. But he's not quarantined, church. He's not under house arrest. He's not restricted. He's not limited to six foot. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can think or ask, as Paul said in the book of Ephesians. God is still on the throne. God is still for us and not against us. God knows what's going on. Point three. In no way do I believe that God has sent this plague of sickness Death and destruction upon us to punish us or to teach us. To attribute this plague, this carnage, this destruction that we are in right now, to God is to say that he is doing the very thing that he sent Jesus Christ to deliver us from. To say that God is making people sick for some reason as a punishment or as something to pressure them into following him is totally contrary to the New Testament teaching. John 10, 10 to me says it. The thief cometh but for what? Steal kill, and destroy. Now, what do you see going on in our world today? Stealing, killing, and destroying. Over 50,000 people have slipped from this life 
into eternity in this United States. And we're going to say that somehow God was responsible for that? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that abundantly. So how can you make God the author of this pandemic? You cannot do it biblically. Even though we like to think of the sovereignty of God. And that's another message. How about Psalms 107.20? He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. So now are we going to say that somehow God sent this on us when he sent his word and healed us? I don't think so. How about Isaiah 53.5? But he was wounded for our transgressions, was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. God is not schizophrenic, church. On one hand, he's not helping us, and with the other hand, pushing us down. He's not sending the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and then bringing condemnation upon us with the other. This is not from God. 1 Peter 2.24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. God doesn't punish us for our sins. Jesus has been punished for our sins. Is there a consequence? Certainly there's a consequence. Which brings us to the next point. But listen to me as, as I finish this. While we can certainly learn some things from the events and the circumstances of life, they are not God's first choice to teach and instruct us. That is the purpose of the written word and the indwelling Holy Spirit. See, I'm not sure where we got that concept that somehow God has to inflict us with a disease so that we'll be more apt students. That he has to take something away from us to give us something. Listen to what John 17, 17, Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. John 16, 7 says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. And he, when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you, are no, and you no longer see me. But when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the regenerated person to lead that person. It is not God making somebody sick. That's not his best. That's not his plan. His plan is, I'm going to save and regenerate a person Forgive them of their sins. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit within them, and then I'm going to give them my word. The Holy Spirit is going to take my word and give it illumination in the believer's mind, and then the believer is going to be led by that Holy Spirit. 
please don't make God out to be the bad guy when what he has done is sent his only begotten son to die on the cross that we might have life. Clearly, if it kills, if it destroys, if it steals, Jesus said, it's not my hand, it's the work of the enemy that's doing that. Point four, make no mistake about it, there is a consequence for every action. Every action has a consequence. Listen to what Galatians 6, 7 says. Make no mistake about it, this is the Passion Translation. God will never be mocked. For what you plant will be always the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. If you plant corrupt seed of self-life into the natural realm, you can expect to experience a harvest of corruption. If you plant the good seeds of the spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruit that grows from the everlasting life of the spirit. What we see happening in the world today is not, not just in this present time, but just in evil in the world, is not an angry God pouring out his wrath on a group of people. God is not mad. God does not do that. He doesn't change that way. What we see is the result of a rebellious people who have repeatedly thumbed their noses toward God and have chosen over and over and over to refuse to obey God and walk in His way. Sin and rebellion always has a consequence, ladies and gentlemen, and it's never for the better, it's always for the worst. You see, God loves us. He proved that by sending His only Son, Jesus. We were in a, in a situation that we could not fix, but God said, I can fix it for you, and He sent Jesus to die on the cross because the wages of sin is death and all of us are guilty of sinning. So he said, because they can't fix it and because my love for them is so great, I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to let somebody else pay the price that they ought to have to pay because of my great love. And so Jesus came, willingly died on a cross, suffered and was buried, rose on the third day, so that we might have a relationship with God. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a consequence to every sin. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week, maybe not even in this decade, but sin always produces a cost. That's the reason it's so vital that you and I stay in touch and in union with the Father, that we stay prayed up 
that we're not holding aught and grudges, that we're not mad and upset and defensive, that, that we're not looking to get even with somebody, that, that we forgive as we have been forgiven. Because, you see, that gives the devil no opportunity in our life. Point five, this is nothing new. New to me? I've lived a long life, a good life. God has been good to me. But I'll tell you one thing. I have never seen in my life a time when we just couldn't go to church if we wanted to. Now, I understand that we are the church and the Holy Spirit dwells with us and we don't have to come here, but there's something about the corporate anointing that sets the captive free. There's something about the corporate anointing when the body of Christ comes together and you join your faith with my faith and others of like faith come together. There's something about breaks the bondage and sets the captive free. And while we can pray in our homes and worship in our homes and thank God we can and we should have been doing it all along, but the reality is there's something that's missing when the body of Christ cannot come together and join our faith together. It weakens the kingdom, I believe. It's not new to God. There has always been an enemy. There's always been an adversary. There's always been that plan to undermine God's character and God's good nature and God's goodness. To make him the bad guy. You understand this, ladies and gentlemen, that those who have never been born again, never been saved, do not see the church in the same way that we see it. To the unregenerate heart, we're nothing other than another do-good organization. We're similar to the Lions Club or, or one of the other civic organizations. We're, 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 we're a benevolent organization. But you see, there's something about the church that's supernatural. Jesus said, this is my church. I built this church. I have determined that my church will go forward and not only persevere, but triumphantly persevere. We shall overcome Jesus is still Lord, and we must determine that. When COVID-19 first began to rear its ugly head, I thought of this Old Testament event, and I'm just going to paraphrase it for the sake of time. You'll remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that there was an event that is recorded there about a Goliath, a giant man over nine foot tall, and the armies of Israel were on one side of the valley. The, 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 the enemy was on the other side. And there was this great big giant of a man that came out every morning, walked over to the edge of the, the valley, looked across the valley at the people of God, the nation of Israel, and said, Is there a man among you? that will come and fight me. If he prevails, we will serve you. But if I prevail, you will serve us. For 40 days he did that. Mocked the armies of God. And the Bible clearly says that they were fearful. 
that they cowered down, that when this giant came out, they were all looking for somebody else to go. Well, the story continues, and there was this young shepherd boy that came to be to see his brothers and deliver some things to him and some things to the commander. And, and he walked out, and, and one morning Goliath came out there and began this daily spill of mocking the God of Israel. And David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, uncircumcised doesn't have anything to do with your physical anatomy. It has to do with the fact that you were not a covenant person. He's saying we were covenant people of God, and this uncircumcised Philistine who has no covenant with God is mocking our God. And he came out and he did it again. And David decided that something has to be done to shut this giant up. And so he said, I'll fight him. The first thing that happened is the king tried to put his armor on him. You see, it's always the arm of the flesh that tries first. I mean, it doesn't matter what the situation is. We, we always look to the arm of the flesh for the deliverance. David said, no, it's not proven. So you'll remember the story. He took that which had worked in the past when he had slain the lion and when he had slain the bear. He went down to the river and he chose for him very carefully five smooth stones, put them in his pouch, and said, All right, Goliath, I'm coming after you. Goliath laughed, called him a dog. Are you going to send this young whippersnapper in here to take care of me? I'll feed your carcass to the birds. David was not moved. The Bible says when Goliath began to move, David didn't back up. He ran forward, put one of those five stones in his slingshot, began to circle that thing above his head, and when the when he got close enough, he saw that gap between the helmet and, and the face shield, and he let that rock go, and boom, the giant fell. To add insult to injury, he went over and took the giant's own sword, cut his head off. And then the nation of Israel arose and pursued the enemy overtook them and won the victory. Now here's my question. Where's David? Where's David? We have an enemy that daily stands and mocks the people of God. You can't come to church till I say so. You can't leave your house till I say so. You can't... What? Who is that uncircumcised Philistine? Who is that coronavirus that's telling the people of God what they can and can't do? Where's David? Somebody got to rise up. Somebody got to say, hey, that's enough. God's been mocked long enough. The people of God have been in prison long enough. Somebody got to do something. And this is what the Lord began to speak to me. 
There is an answer. I've given you the way to do it. But the world doesn't like it. They don't want to hear it. They don't believe it. They don't think that it's real. But you see, there is an answer. But that's all right if they don't believe it because he didn't give the solution to the world. He gave the solution to the people of God. He he, he didn't say to the governors and the presidents and and the mayors, he, he didn't say, if you'll do this, he said, my people do this. And if you'll do this, you'll begin to impact the enemy. And my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and listen, heal their land. There is a solution, ladies and gentlemen, and it's been given to the body of Christ. But we've got to be like David. We've got to be offended at the fact that there's an enemy that has come up against the body of Christ and is limiting us. In many ways, yes, we are expanding. Thank God for the increased audience that comes in as we telecast and broadcast and livecast and all the casters we're doing. Thank God for that. But the reality is, he said, if you're my people, you're a covenant people, you're in covenant with me, I have given you ammunition to come against the enemy. Now we hear a whole lot about praying, but we don't hear much about humbling. See, I think therein is the problem. He said, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. Now, now we forgot about that. Well, let's have a prayer meeting. Let's let's pray for the president. Let's pray. That's good. That's good, 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 good. We ought to be praying. Ought to have been praying before the coronavirus came. But you see, he said the first step to victory is, can I say it this way? Get over yourself. See, I, I, said, I, I said a little earlier that, that most of our praying, praying is whining before God. You know why? Because prayer is an expression that is worded when there's a confidence in God. So when we're sitting around here saying, well, I wonder if God caused this, or I wonder if God didn't cause this, or did God send this, or is God trying to teach me something? Get it out of your mind, ladies and gentlemen. Get a picture of who God is. God's for us, not against us. He didn't come to make us sick. He didn't come to make us miserable. He didn't come to steal, kill, and from us. That's the work of the enemy. So let's come against it like David, come against Goliath. Let's do what God said. Let's humble ourselves and then begin to pray. Let's get over our selfishness. Let's begin to quit worrying about how it affects me and begin to say, what's it doing to the kingdom of God? What's it doing to our nation? What's it doing to our city? Well, you know, it's just bad, bad, bad at my house. We just having to stay in the house. And, and, you know, we only have 97 channels to watch on the television. And 
Come on, get over yourself. Begin to say, what can I do as a covenant believer to help do away with this enemy? I'm tired of being mocked by this thing. Humble yourself and pray. Look at the context. Look at the context here. They were dedicating the Solomon's uh, the temple, and that's when he made this promise in verse 14. He said, Now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. Verse 19 says, But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot you from my land, which I have given you, and this house which has been consecrated will actually become a mockery. Do you know what the devil would like to do? He would like for us to begin on on Highway 60 and begin to come in and every church that's there is vacant and desolate. He would like for us to see this house closed up, boards across the windows, nobody here, nobody cares, nobody's willing to take on Goliath. That's what the devil wants. Understand that. This is not some little game that's being played. This is a real live battle. This is absolutely life and death. And as surely as Goliath said, if I win, you'll serve me. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, that if we let the enemy win, we will become servants of the enemy. We must stand up. We must see it for what it is. We must take a charge of our own lives. We must humble ourselves. We must get over ourselves. And then begin to pray and intercede. Seek his face. Now we like that praying and seeking his face. We don't like humbling and forsaking our sins. We don't like that at all. And that's the reason our prayers by and large are ineffective. Because we have come to him with some kind of selfish motive. We have prayed surely enough. We have sought his face surely enough. But then when we leave out of here, we don't want our lives to be affected at all. Many of us in the body of Christ are involved in things that are anathema. They are, they are an abomination to the name of Jesus. And we just go right along because everybody else is doing it. And everybody else thinks it's all right. No! If you want Goliath with his head cut off, God's given us the answer. Humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, and then the Bible clearly says, then, and I add for emphasis, only then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. You remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and you remember what he prayed? Now, now let, me, let me read that for you out of Matthew chapter 6. This is the Message Bible, and I'll close with this. 
The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father who art in heaven. There's the submission. There's the humbling. There's the acknowledging that there is one greater than me. I am not the center of my universe. Listen to what he says. Reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're a blaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. In prayer, there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness if we don't give forgiveness. Church, let us do what he asks us to do. Let's get honest with ourselves. Let, let's, let's just confess how selfish we really are. How I'm not really concerned about the big picture. I, I'm really concerned about how it's affecting me. Let's humble ourselves and pray. Seek his face. Turn. When the Holy Spirit convicts us of something, stop it in Jesus' name. When he instructs us to do something, let's do it in Jesus' name. Let's begin to see the enemy as the enemy. And let's take our rightful position as the body of Christ and simply say, No, devil, you're not going to have your way in my house. You're not going to have your way in my county. You're not going to have your way in my state. You're not going to have your way in my nation. Because I'm a covenant-keeping part of the body of Christ. And I'm going to do what God said because I'm confident he'll do what he said. My people, called by my name, humble themselves and pray. Seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. Father, reveal ourselves to ourselves. Father, we have grown up in a self-centered nation. We have all been spoiled beyond imagination. We have become so spoiled that we think there's some things that we're entitled to. Some things that the government owes us or somebody else owes us. Father, forgive us for that. We choose today as we pray to humble ourselves and acknowledge that you're God and we're not. And we believe, Father, that when we do what you ask us to do, that you'll do what you said you would do that you would hear from heaven and heal our land. Father, let us be honest. 
If there are things in our lives that you have convicted us of, you said the Holy Spirit would convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So, Father, if that indwelling Spirit has convicted us, let us be man or woman enough to admit it, to agree with Him, to forsake that thing, and watch you bring healing into our land. Quickly, in the name of Jesus, we join together, Father. Praying, humbling, seeking your face. And now, Father, we thank you that you have heard our prayer because it's in accordance with your will who sent your Son to bring healing to the nations. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.